What if every song on the radio were the same? What if all of our music were the same key, the same subject, the same tempo? It would be boring, and we would stop listening. But God is not boring, and neither are his songs, which means we can come to him in any and every emotional state we find ourselves in. Pastor Doug Logan says, God is worthy of praise, even on a bad day. He's good because of who he is. Feel the pain, trial, anguish, joy, celebration, and justice as we further understand what it means to know the God of the Bible. Let's marinate in the Psalms as this ancient poetry washes over us, refining us, changing us for his good. What a joy to learn there is no pretending in Christ. God allows us to weep, sing, shout, laugh, and even lament. Join us as we go deeper with God. Join us as we revel in his songs. Join us for these songs of freedom. How about now? It's absolutely the sound guy's problem when I have the mute button on. <laughs> Everybody looks at him, you know. Um, that was the last time we saw that, that video. Uh, we, uh, we're going to be starting our new series uh, next week. I'm really excited for it. And we had our friend JP. I don't know if you guys have seen him. Sometimes he reads verses here. He did the intro, and I'm, I'm really excited for you guys to hear it. Um, I'm stoked that you guys are here uh, for this Labor Day weekend. Uh, we even have a guest who's like in the hospital right now, and he's watching us, Bill Crable, if you guys know. We're, we're going to continue to pray for Bill, but we're excited that he's here with us in spirit and uh, Wi-Fi. Um, but uh, today's, today's message is called Join the Chorus. It's the last psalm. It's the bookend psalm, um, and it's uh, our... 16th sermon on the Psalms. So we're going to be moving on a little sad, but also ready to kind of, you know, I'm really, I'm always more excited to talk about who Jesus is um, and like what he did. Um, but I, I think it's really important for us to think of what Jesus read, how Jesus was taught, what spoke about Jesus before we even knew who Jesus was. And that's why we do different verses. Otherwise, we would just do the Gospels all the time. Um, so today we're going to be in Psalm 150. So uh, there's Bibles available in the back if you need one. Uh, there's apps as, as well that are free, but if you'd like to get a Bible, you can keep it or you can just use it for today. We have those back there. It's the last Psalm. Just uh, look in the table of contents for the Psalms and you'll find Psalm 150 very easily. Um, I'm, I'm really stoked on this Labor Day weekend to see uh, such a good attendance. Uh, I feel like most people are out of town usually and I would say when I look at our graph, so like I have this thing where I'm like, if nobody shows up, I'm like, what are we doing wrong? What? And so I've started to kind of look at our dates and like what we do. And this is a day where most people are out of town. So, because I have to prepare myself for y'all to not be here and to see your pictures like at Disneyland and stuff. But, um, but I'm, I'm really stoked that you're here today. And uh, I, I love this because I am excited for what God has shared with me through this and what I think I've learned and I'd like to share it with you. So Psalm 150 
hallelujah. Now, before I get any further, uh, let's talk about what hallelujah means. Um, hallelujah, the word uh, halal means praise. Um, and then Yah means the Lord. Hallelujah. Okay, so when we say hallelujah, we're saying praise the Lord. So it starts out with hallelujah, praise the Lord. And then from then on, it says that over and over and over again. So hallelujah, verse 2, praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. Praise him for his powerful acts. Praise him for his abundant greatness. Praise him with trumpet blast. Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and flute. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, just before we get any further, I just want to point out that it says hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. That's important to notice. It's, it's an important idea. Praise God, praise the Lord. So, um, if you would join me as we pray. Father, hallelujah. Praise you, God. We thank you this morning that you redeem us. We thank you that you care for us. We thank you that you save us from our own devices. God, that you saved us from destruction, and uh, we're so good at creating destruction, and still you love us. But Lord, even today, we see so many hurting around us, so many addicted, ashamed, mentally ill, and we ask that you would be their guide. Would you do something new in this community today? By the work of your Holy Spirit, would we see captives set free? Would you break chains and cause people to dance and sing and shout that you are good? Father, we also pray for our brother Bill, who's in the hospital right now. Would you bless and encourage him? Finally, Lord, we ask that you would teach us this morning through your word. Will you teach us through your Holy Spirit and maybe even reveal something to us through uh, your humble servant? May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're in Psalm 150 today. Psalm 150 is considered to be like a book and psalm, right? Um, because Psalm 1 is our intro. It's the other bookend. Psalm 150 is our outro. Um, it's our conclusion it's interesting that they're exact same length. They're both six verses, short and sweet, but one is more at the beginning. It's kind of more of an admonition, like, hey, make sure you do this right or else. And then when we get to Psalm 150, it's like, okay, cool. He's still going to be here. And he's still present. He's still working. So we have six important verses that we get to talk about today. This is um, much shorter than some of our other ones. So who knows? Maybe you'll get out of here earlier and get to the beach, but maybe not. So sometimes uh, I like to run and... Um, well, I, I mean, I used to like to run, and um, it's been a little while until my doctor said, hey, stop running, you're getting hurt because you're too heavy, and I was like, heavy? Who's heavy? What? What are you talking about? Um, but here's the thing. There's things that I've learned about how to run well. One of the things that I learned was by running with a Marine, and uh, there's like seven Marines in uh, Wichita when I started running, and I just happened to have one that was my neighbor, and uh, he said he would run with me, and I was terrified because, you know, he's a Marine. Um, and so we ran together and he started to tell me like, Hey, stop taking rest, dude. And I was like, nah, dude, I'm, you know, you're fit and I'm me. And so I would try to take rest. And he's like, you need to stop. And he's, it's really bad for you to take rest. And I was like, why is this bad for me? Because you know, I, like I don't have any breath left in me. And he's like, well, let's just push a little bit further. Don't take a rest now. Just push a little bit further. Just push a little bit further. And he would admonish me to keep going. And he said that when you take rest when you're running, you may find yourself um, stopping for too long, and then it's harder to get going again. 
I don't know if you've ever experienced this because some of you are fit in the room, that when you are running, you cannot stop. Now, we're not talking 26 kilometers. We're talking a regular, like, two, three, four-mile run. That You have to keep your, yourself going because much of it is psychological. You have to tell yourself, hey, if I just keep going, then I can keep going. So he would always tell me, hey, we're just going to run straight to that, that corner, and then you could take your break. And then we'd almost get to the corner. He's like, you know what? Let's pick that next street pole. And then he would say, hey, you know, we're going to go to that next corner. And he would keep pushing me on. And you know what I found is that I could run four miles. Y'all, um, in high school, when I ran the mile, I was that guy who was crawling at the end, um, breathing as hard as he could because I was so bad at it. And so to find that I could run four miles because I had to tell myself that it was okay to keep going, that was important. If you've had any friends who are in college, or if you've gone to college, or if you've tried to go to college, um, you have probably heard someone that has said, hey, I'm going to just take a little break from college, just for like this amount of time. And I'll tell you, so many of those people struggle to go back. And we've had many friends that have struggled to go back. And uh, like I know a lot of people that once they take that break, suddenly work has new challenges. Suddenly family has new challenges. Sudden, suddenly they're sick, and it's hard to go back to college. In the same way, taking that break has been so hard on them. Now, I have had friends who have gone back to school after that. I've gone back to school after 20 years of taking a break, and I commend them for it. But what I say to anyone who's thinking about taking a break don't do it. Don't take a break. Don't take a break from college. Um, this psalm, in the same way, is telling us, don't stop. It's saying it doesn't matter where you are, what's going on. Don't stop praising God. This psalm is the green eggs and ham of worship songs. It says, I will praise the Lord on a boat. I will praise the Lord with a goat. I will praise the Lord on a mat. I will praise the Lord with a cat. It's this idea, no matter what you do, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, praise God. And so today I have three points on what it's like to praise God consistently. So three points on praising God. And our first one is this. Worship knows no geography. Worship knows no geography. The first verse says, hallelujah. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. So we have this idea where it says, praise God in your worship gatherings. Praise God everywhere else. Um, so you got to get a little background on what this is talking about. Well, so here's the deal. Israel was expected to travel three times a year to Jerusalem. So those who considered themselves to be Jews that were in any kind of nearby area had to make pilgrimage three times a year to the temple to make sacrifice, to honor the holy days, and all these things. So this is when he's saying, praise God in his sanctuary. So when they were not there, though, God knew that if they were not in the temple there three, day, three times a year, they were likely to praise something else. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but humans, we are really good at praising things. We are worshipers, right? We worship anything and everything. Anything that gets around us, we'll worship. We'll bow to it. We'll say, this is the most important thing in the world. Because if you're anything like me, there have been times that money has kept you up all night. Has anybody ever felt that way, that your concern about money keeps you up? Because it's become so important. Even more lame, sports has kept me up all night. That time that the, Padre, or the, the Chargers were up by 28 and then Peyton Manning at halftime came back and then destroyed us, I was up all night after that. For some, because... I was mad, and then I was mad that I was mad about it, that it was that important to me, and it just snowballed. We find ourselves making so many things important, 
so many things, almost as important as God, because we're good at worshiping other things. And so God is saying, worship God in his temple. God is saying, worship God in his sanctuary, but be careful the rest of the time and make sure that you're worshiping him all the other times. Human beings, we have been called idol factories. And so while we who house God's Holy Spirit are now the temple of God, I would say it this way. Praise God in his assembly or the church or the gathering of the church and praise him everywhere else. Now, how is this relevant to us? Uh, To the person who says, I worship God every Sunday, so I'm good, and I don't need to do much else, I say this to you. I say, stop being so narrow-minded about what church is. To you, friend, I say, praise God in the expanse. Bring God to your work. Allow him into your family life. Consider how you can praise him when you are tired and at home and you've just screamed at your kids to pick up after themselves because you stepped on Legos for the 12th time. How can you praise God in that other place? Not just our gathering, but at home when you're, when you're tired and you're frustrated. That's not a word. Frustrated. Um, flustered and frustrated. He calls you consistently to worship him. But if we just consistently worship him on Sunday, how much we have missed out. How much we have missed out. Now, on the other end, we have the people who says, I just worship God all day. All day, every day, I'm worshiping God. That's who I am. I don't need a church. I worship God all day. And, that, and we know that that's kind of a load, right? A load of something. Um, because, like, last weekend, right, the same person who said that was, like, binge-watching Game of Thrones on their couch, laid out, like, cheese spray in their mouth, and we know that that's not worshiping God, right? That's not honoring God. So let's be honest that we're, perhaps those of us who say we worship God all the time, every day, maybe we're fibbing a little bit. And so what God is saying here is that we need both. We need to worship God in the assembly, and we need to worship God in the expanse, which means at home, in the desert, uh, in the mountains, at school, at home when our kids are really annoying us. Those times, I'm sorry, kids, some of you kids are, (laughs) you're not annoying. We are being sanctified by God and becoming more like him, and you were sent by God so that we could become sanctified. So thank you, kids, for that. Um, But he calls us to consistently praise him in the assembly. And for our modern context, that's going to apply to Sundays when the church gathers together. And I know you're like, oh, but you're a pastor. You have to say that. I would say it if I weren't a pastor. I'm probably a pastor because I believe it. Now, Pastor Warren uh, Wearsby, he says it this way, and he does not pull back. He does not hold back any punches. Okay, here we go. People who excuse themselves from public worship because they, quote, worship God in nature need to be reminded that the God of nature has revealed himself in Jesus Christ and commanded us to gather together with other believers. Man, like, come on, dude. Like, could you soften it a little? But don't have a narrow view of worship, friends, and don't have a liberal one. God here is prescribing a holistic view of worship. Worship God all the time. And if you're going to attempt this, uh, you're going to need help You're going to need help from the people who worship with you. You're going to need help of the Holy Spirit. You're going to need others. Now, to worship God in the expanse, um, it's it's kind of hard to define, but I I just want to tell you a little story about someone who I feel like participated in this. Now, um, I don't want to be political here, but it's about a particular person that recently died that's a politician, and his name is John McCain. He died from cancer this last week, and I just want to talk about him for just a moment. It's not a political campaign because he's not alive. So um, 
When McCain was running for president a few years back, I decided to read the books of all the people running for president. I had just got out of school. I was super excited. And so I decided that I'm going to just read these books. So I read Obama's book. I read uh, John Edwards' book. I read McCain's book. I read Mitt Romney. And McCain's book was really interesting. Um, Much of it was about his time in Vietnam. McCain was a pilot in the Vietnam War, and his plane was shot down in October of 1967. He ended up staying more than five years at the notorious Hanoi Hilton. And this is what he said. And by when we say Hanoi Hilton, we all know that that was actually um, a, a, a prison. He was a prisoner of war. Okay, I should clarify. This is what McCain said. Three things kept me going. Faith in God, faith in my fellow prisoners, and faith in my country. There were times when I didn't pray for, more, <clears throat> for one more day or one more hour, but I prayed for one more minute. So I have very little doubt that it was a reliance on someone stronger than me that not only got me through, but got me through honorably. I read this about the soldiers at the Hanoi Hilton. The soldiers were kept for many years in cells by themselves. But on Sunday, after lunch, the soldiers washed the dishes and the guards would kind of like go into the other room. Then the senior officer would signal that it was time to pray together by coughing in a way that signaled the letter C for church. Um, one cough and then three coughs. And they would silently praise God together. If you said something out loud, the guards would drag you out. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm sorry. If you said something out loud, the guards would drag you out. So what they did at church is they silently worshiped God together. Some of them knew Bible verses, and they recited it in their head. Uh, a few of them didn't know anything about church, and they said the Pledge of Allegiance to themselves. But these people, together, worshiped God in silence, in the expanse, in the least likely place. God was present, and they were fellowshipping together. Because you can do it any time, but they had decided to bring the assembly to the expanse. What's interesting is after a few years, the guards eased up, and they were allowed in rooms together. And guess what? McCain was chosen as the chaplain because he knew the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed. That's it. That's why he was chosen as chaplain. And McCain said this. He said, we had a choir that was marvelous. The guy who directed it happened to have been previously the director of the Air Force Academy Choir. It was in those moments God's temple was found in the depths of the expanse. So I just want to say this. I understand why you, need, why you get too overwhelmed, too busy, um, or too tired to join us on Sunday. I get it, guys. It's, I understand. But I also believe you need to be here. There could be a day when worship with God's church will feel like all you have, and I don't want you to feel like you need to just come and be with strangers to get that. Church is not a place. Sunday is an important part of church. It's when we gather for the purpose of worshiping God. But if that's only our definition of church, then we're also missing out because it doesn't say praise God in the sanctuary and move on. It says, and in this expanse. Now, Hebrews 10, 23 uh, through 25 says, let us hold to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised is faithful. Let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, let me just say, when I've been on the block and I'm like, hey, join us for church, I usually get the same thing. Like, um, they will challenge me on the idea that that's even a biblical idea. Um, this idea that, like, uh, Paul, 
Paul was just saying that they need to be in each other's lives like sometimes, like they weren't, he wasn't saying that they needed to, to gather together at some building, like that's not even a thing. Um, but the thing is, is that in the times that Paul was writing, um, excuse me, this was Hebrews, so in the time that the author was writing this, um, there was, a, there was a, a name that we had for Christians uh, who only spent time with each other once a week. There was a name that we would give them, and uh, the, the name we would give Christians who spent one day a week with each other would have been weird, lonely hermits, because they were up in each other's business. That's the way it was. And I know sometimes we don't want people in our business, but the church, the early church, they were together, and they ate together, and they cried together, and they sang together, and they celebrated together. And so what do I say to you? Uh, city groups, we start this week. Oh, what a great segue into an advertisement. Um, this is one of the ways we do community, friends. And I encourage you on Wednesday or Thursday to go and be willing to be with people, to have awkward silence. Don't worry, usually when there's food there, the silence is filled with chewing. Um, but to have those times when you're with people that you don't know or you don't know as well or you really don't want them to know about you um, and to consider that God desires what's best for you and that he desires for you to be in true community. And I'm going to encourage you to be true community with your church who knows you. That's my ad. I would also just add one more ad. ad. Yes, I would add one more ad. Uh, we have growth groups, friends. And what is a growth group? A growth group is where we get into the word together. Same gender growth groups. And uh, we, we walk through life together. And I encourage you, if you're not in one, maybe this is the season that you decide to get in one. And if you don't even believe, dude, there are guys or ladies that would love to, to study the Bible with you, whether you believe or not. They're not going to judge you. They just want to be in the Word together. So advertisement over. Um, so we know worship has no geographical place. Now, our next point, I think, is pretty obvious when you study this word, and that is worship has no style. Worship has no style. Praise him with the trumpet blast. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and flute. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. African bishop of the early church, St. Augustine, is quoted in saying, no kind of faculty is here omitted. All are enlisted in praising God. So it's kind of interesting because when, if you knew just a little bit of, about what each instrument was for, it might read a little bit different. It might read more like this. Praise God with the funeral procession instruments. Praise God with temple music. Praise God with hip-hop. Praise God with Norteño. Praise God with war horns. Um, and I think actually uh, in the Bible it says to not praise God with country. I don't know if that's in there. It's just... <laughs> I think first hesitations excludes country. Um, but we praise God with techno. We can praise God no matter what it sounds like. What matters is that God is pleased with your heart and that it is attuned to his. Praise him with loud cymbals. Now, when I think of praise him with loud cymbals or clashing cymbals, I think about when I became a Christian. I became a Christian when I was 16 years old. And I got to tell you, I was in a punk band. And I was in a punk band with like an atheist and there was some things going on. And it was, yeah. So um, what ended up happening is I decided that I needed to go and start a Christian punk band. Um, I did not know that there would be people so very angry at me for this. Like, I'm going to go play the style of music I was raised in, and I'm going to talk about Jesus. I have had bottles thrown at me. I've had cans thrown at me. 
and uh, I've had a lot of bad words uh, thrown at me. But here's the interesting thing. Some of the Christians said this to me. They said, hey, stop playing punk music. Why don't you play Christian music? And I was like, how is this not Christian? It sounds evil. How does it sound evil? Because I'm praising God in my words. And what was interesting to me is some people even swore they heard curse words in my music. My music that praised God. So that was interesting. So they said, stop playing punk. Why don't you play Christian music? On the other side of the aisle, the other punk bands that we played with said this, stop playing punk. Why don't you play some Christian music? At the same end, they were annoyed that I would take this style that was important to me and I would put something Christian-y into it. It bothered them. It consumed them. They would start groups against us on Facebook. They used to post on our, our message board. We had like a message board for our band. Um, it was like, actually there's like, yeah, it's not, not worth talking about. But we had people that would troll us because we used their style. And I say to you, praise God with a clashing symbol. And so um, I even have a friend that was in a death metal band that was a strong Christian, and he loved to listen to death metal while he did his Bible study. And when I say death metal, it's like, that's like all it sounds like. I can't even understand what they're saying, but that's how he did his Bible study because that music praised God and attuned his heart to God. So when we say worship has no style, friends, worship has no style. Now, how does this apply to us? And this applies to us, not just me, not just one person. This applies to us. What this means is, is that City Life Church is going to have multiple styles as we reach our community, and we're going to bend to everyone around us. If you're a Christian, so I'm speaking only to my Christians in the room now. I'm going to say this to you, to my Christians. You are leaders in our community. You have to lead in what it means to put aside your taste, your favorite style, for the, for the people around you. Now, I have worked in the church doing music for a very long time, and I can tell you, you know how easy it is for me to do rock and roll worship? Like, mm, easy. I only practice. I can just jump up here, and I can do it. Matter of fact, I get paid to do that sometimes. But here's the thing. Is that going to welcome everybody else? And that's why we're doing songs with some Spanish, because there are people in our community that speak Spanish. And I hope one day we will even have someone who interprets throughout the service, and we'll have friends that only speak Spanish. And we will gather together because the Lord is bigger. But what does that mean? That means you are going to have to bend, Christians. You guys hear me? So that means that you guys are going to have to bend. And I don't know how that makes you feel, but I feel like we need to continually bend to the needs of others who do not know Jesus. Those who do not have a church, those who do not feel home in the church. To be able to offer them something in their language or their style, perhaps gospel. Like, hey, rock worship guy, I'm needing to learn gospel. And I'm needing to get help for gospel. And so, as we have friends coming and doing this, it's so important that we consider that if God has no style of worship, then we should be willing to do that style for others. When I was at this conference in Memphis, it was called the Kainos Conference. It's this idea that there is neither Greek nor, uh, nor Jew. There is only the new man, which is Kainos. So I was at this conference in Memphis, and uh, it was the multi-ethnic church conference. It was about four years ago. And the band up front was like, going crazy. It was so good. At the same time, I was like struggling. I was the, the white guy trying to clap on, 
um, one and three, you know, I was doing all this stuff where I was like, man, I feel, this is hard for me, you know? You'd have someone just singing, and you wouldn't even have words up, and I'd be like expected to sing along. I'm like, this is really hard for me. Like, and, and I remember uh, looking at this dude next to me. Um, he's an African-American brother, and I just said to him, hey, brother, what are you thinking of worship? And he's like, man, I'm struggling. I'm like, oh, you're struggling? He's like, yeah, it's just so white. And I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't even realize this. But here's the thing. It meant that we both had to bend to each other. And it means that we're both never going to quite feel like if we do this right, if we really truly try to reach our neighbors, if we really try to show love, if we really treat them as more important than ourselves, it means that we're going to bend. And, and friends, I encourage you to bend so others might come to know Jesus. Bend so that others might feel a community that they have never felt. And if that means gospel, if that means rock for some of you, if that means Hispanic worship, then let us bend further. Let us see how far we can bend for each other. So Philippians 2.3 says this, do nothing out of selfish ambi ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Romans 12 says to outdo each other in showing honor. Once again, showing honor to someone else is how can we as a church bend to this other person's need or preference? That's what we're going to be doing, friends. Okay, so worshiping God has no singular place, right? It should be every place. But it should also happen when we gather together. Worshiping God can also happen in every style. And so this is our final point. Our final point is the why. The why of why we worship God anytime, any place, in any way. Our, our third point is this. Worship Him for good reason. Praise God because he deserves it. So verse 2 says, praise him for his powerful acts. Praise him for his abundant greatness. Nigerian pastor Zamani Kafeng, he says this, because of his mighty works and his great love and mercy, our awe at his greatness does not reduce us to trembling silence, but inspires us to burst out in songs of joy. Now, Charles Spurgeon, old English dude, says this, There is nothing little about God, and there is nothing great apart from him. If we were always careful to make our worship fit and appropriate for our great Lord, how much better should we sing? How much more reverently should we adore? Such excellent deeds should have excellent praise. Now, this is where I encourage you. If we're going to worship him for good reason, we're going to worship him for the reasons that are in the Bible, but I also want us to worship him for the reasons um, of what he's done in our midst, friends. And I would encourage you to have a journal. To have a journal, that, maybe just a praise journal. It could be one of those little ones where you just put the things that God has done in your life. Like, worship him for what he's done because I'm pretty sure a lot of people in this room have prayed for a job. I'm pretty sure a lot of us in this room have prayed for safety. I'm pretty sure some of us in this room have prayed for healing for people, and then we've seen healing, and then we need to write this down so we can remember. The thing is, we look at Israel wandering through the wilderness, never trusting God, and we judge them, right? Look at all the things God did. He parted the Red Sea for you. Are you serious? And you're already questioning that God is good, and yet I say to you, friends, that I think God has done many miracles in our midst, and we have forgotten so quickly. That is why I encourage you to write things down that God does. Because so quickly we get that job and we move on to the next thing we need from God. And we forget what he has provided. So when we say to worship him for good reason, I say worship him for the reasons in the Bible. There's a 
ton of reasons in the Bible, but also for the things he's done in your life, even today. We dog on those Israelites, but we're just like them, aren't we? Friends, worship God for his mighty works. Has anybody here been to like a college basketball game before? All right, so awesome. We've got a few of you. I love college basketball. I didn't know until I went. Like I was like, college basketball is dumb. NBA is awesome. I had no idea how great it was, especially because college basketball players don't fall on the ground as much to get fouls. They look like Neymar. Um, so Neymar is a football player, soccer player. Um, but here's the thing. This often happens in a, in a basketball game, like a good basketball game where it's, it's, it's going down and um, you see your team is behind and suddenly they start co- scoring baskets. They, they get a rebound and then they go back to the other side. And there's this moment when there's a foul and there's a change of hands and your team gets the ball and they're down by one. You're on, you're on your feet. You're standing. You're ready to scream. And you see a long pass and you see your favorite player grab the ball, jump up, and then something happens. Something mystical happens in college basketball. It happens in the NBA too. When your team is losing and suddenly someone from your team gets up and does a monster dunk, everybody is on their feet, right? Everybody is cheering. Everybody's screaming. Like, my voice is going to be sore tomorrow because that monster dunk, it just like demoralizes the other team, right? And so you have to get up. You have to throw your hands up in the air, and you have to be excited, like, because you just saw something amazing, right? The tightest, you can, it's palpable in the room. You can feel the change suddenly happen. Suddenly, my team is the winning team. That team is the desperate team, and you know, we're not going to stop. We're going to keep piling on points. It's in that moment when you see that dunk go down that you have to cheer, but friends, what if basketball had rules like, uh, like, like golf? Like you got to be quiet when you watch golf, which is why I think golf is one of the most boring. I mean, I have tried to watch golf on TV. It is the most boring thing I've ever seen. Like some people say baseball is boring, but golf, dude, I, I'm sure some of you golf, but it's so boring for me, okay? And they have these rules. Like if someone gets something, you can do what they call it, a golf clap, that like, mmm, nice, like, for something huge. So Tiger Woods, like, does something amazing, and everybody's supposed to. Now, can you imagine watching a basketball game with those same rules? That would be crazy. I would have to walk out. I would have to be holding my mouth. I would be trying to do anything I could not to speak up. Because when something happens in a great sporting event, you have to cheer. You have to. Last year, we went to the San Diego State football game where uh, Stanford uh, was playing against San Diego State. We won't talk about what happened this year. Um, but last year, uh, when San Diego State was playing Stanford, the, the stadium was on fire. It was shaking. And then when we defeated Stanford, dude, it was crazy. People were yelling. People were screaming. We walked out in the parking lot. The same thing was happening. People were yelling. People were screaming. Cars were honking. It was like people were getting on the freeway, still honking their horns. Like there was probably a little bit of drink involved with that as well. But people were crazy in that moment, right? Because they saw what for us in a little sports town was a miracle. Some people got a ball across something And then we had to cheer, and I couldn't talk the next day, and I was preaching the next day. Someone throws a ball in a hoop, and we lose our stinking minds. But those aren't mighty acts, are they? Those aren't mighty acts. And let me tell you, friends, about a true mighty act. 
The true mighty act that is worth celebrating is what we call the gospel. I'm going to tell it to you every week, and I'm going to tell it to you every day until I die. And this is what the gospel is, is that we were in debt. We were so far behind, there was no way to ever catch up. The ball had been driven and scored over and over again until we found ourselves with no possible way to get in the green. And so we were in debt. Our sin had separated us from the most high God. And what did he do? God himself, the Father sent his son Jesus. Jesus came to this earth, left the perfection of heaven so we might have life. And he lived a perfect life for us because of our debt. It was the ultimate way to change the score. And what did he do? He died willingly for us. We like to say he was murdered, which I think is true. But at the same time, uh, he cannot die without uh, his permission. He cannot be killed without his permission. And so he willingly died for you, friends. And, And when he conquered sin and death and he rose again on the third day, there was a signal that your debts have been canceled. Those who confess Jesus as Lord you are now in the positive scoring position. Friends, you are now in the place where God looks upon you with favor and he sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus. There is nothing you did to earn it. There's nothing you can do to earn it. All we do is we try to love God because we have been loved so very well and we don't do it to earn anything with him. We are righteous in the sight of the Father because of Jesus and that is, that is what we celebrate. And that is why when we come here, you may look at some of us because we sing a little bit loud, because we put our hands in the air, we dance a little bit, and, and we play all kinds of instruments. Friends, it is because this is something worth celebrating, and that is why on Sundays, I hope we are loud, friends. Luke 19, 37 through 40, this is gonna be a verse that you've heard already because it's been in this series already, where it talks about how Jesus... Uh, was celebrated as he came into the town. And the people would say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. And some of the religious leaders, what did they say? They said, teacher, shut them up. Shut them up. They can't be saying stuff like that out here. That's going against the temple. And Jesus says what? He says, I tell you, if they kept silent, what? The stones would cry out. Because we have good reason to worship him. Because we have the gospel. That is why we cannot stay silent. This is not a basketball game. This is not a football game. This is the game of life. And friends, we have been redeemed. Jesus told them, shut your mouth. They're doing what they're made to do. I made their mouth to praise. I made their mouth to praise me. Didn't you read Psalm 150? They have to do this. So friends, let me close with this. Friends, we live in a world of what is called common grace. What's common grace? Common grace is the things that we all enjoy. God has given us these gifts. What are some of those things? The ocean, a nice glass of wine for those of you who don't mind, a good steak, talented musicians, and beautiful music. These are all things worth praising. And oftentimes, we praise these things. We see like a great athlete. Man, I'm going to praise it. But maybe this is your time to consider if there's something even better worth praising in your life. Someone who cared for you more than any athlete. Someone who cared for you more than anyone else. Someone who loved you so much that he died for you. 
And if that is so, perhaps today is the day you commit your life to following him. You say, you know what? I've tried my own way, and it's not worked. You say, uh, I've worshipped everything else, and it's not worshipped me back. It's not loved me back. It's not hugged me back. Only God is the one worth worshipping. So if that's you, then I encourage you to take a moment and ask God to be your Savior, to confess him as Lord of your life. And as we go about confessing our own sins, because we all have them, um, perhaps this is your first time to say, God, would you be my God? Would you be the Lord of my whole life? So let's all pray in this moment. In the silence of our hearts, let us confess our sins. God, we thank you that those of us who follow you have a confidence to approach your throne of grace. That those of us who call you Lord and King can have confidence knowing that you have saved us from ourselves. You have saved us from our sin. God, I I think we'd all like it if you would save us from all our struggles and yet uh, all we have is your presence in the midst of them and we hope that that would be good enough. God, we thank you that as far as the east is from the west, so is our sin from your sight. God, for those who are far from you at this moment, I ask that you would have mercy on them, that you would comfort them, and that you would draw them to yourselves, yourself. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name.